Welcome to the podcast, Storytelling and Safety, brought to you by you, the listener. Please visit the website, storytellingandsafety.com, for other episodes. back to the podcast storytelling and safety and i'm your host today tim page Botterf. we have had some incredible things happen over the last year well which is our inaugural year we've had a professional baseball player we've had some close friends a lot of safety professionals we've even had a senator and more importantly we've had some incredible storytellers but as we look back it brings me great joy to me and the team that we're all in the top 10% of all safety-related podcasts and greater than 50% in all podcasts that are out there. So I got to say thank you. This really couldn't happen without all of you. But today is a moment that brings me even greater gratitude. Uh, today, we, we've got someone who brings gratitude to the forefront, and he will tell you why. Mike Shaw is a friendly Canadian who started out in competitive skiing and has always threatened me to put me in skis, which I don't know if that's going to happen, but we may, maybe we'll revisit this when, uh, when the pandemic is over and have a conversation about it. But uh, I don't mind going up to Whistler and I don't mind going up to where he lives. Um, I will say this, the closest I will ever come to a, a skiing right now at this point is on a Nordic track. So <laughs> um, Mike, has also coached at a high level in Canada, mostly freestyle skiing. Um, he's also the author of a book uh, just recently released, Never Part of the Plan, A Story of Courage, Resilience. Mike was coaching heavily up until around 2013 when his life was completely changed forever. I invited Mike here to share this amazing story and to show you the power of gratitude. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Tim. I'm uh, I'm really thankful to be here. This is an awesome opportunity to connect with you. I appreciate it. Yeah, and I, I have to ask, how are you doing through everything? Oh, I'm on the whole. I'm I'm really doing fantastic. Actually, like I'm. I think when I look back at 2020 and um, through the lens of you know tallying up the wins and and losses and the pandemic's been challenging for everyone and it total leveled my totally leveled my work life. So I, uh, I focused on my life for the year and then, uh, work came, came in the, the latter half of the year. But during the months where we were in most, mostly locked down, I got engaged. I, uh, moved, I bought a house on a small bit of land, like an acre and, and moved during the summer months. So I was making the most of my downtime. I didn't ever have that kind of time at home. And then, uh, just recently before the holidays got a new addition, a little puppy to, to make the house a little bit more fun and vibrant. So when I look back at the last year and where things are at right now, I can definitely say that, uh, came out heavily weighing weighted in the positive. So I'm, I'm really doing well and, uh, health wise also, I'm thankful for where I'm at. So doing pretty, pretty good. Thanks for asking. That's good. That's, it's funny to listen to somebody. Well, it's not funny. Sorry. Not funny. Ha ha. But like, okay, so he just got engaged and now he's got a puppy and now he's got a home. 
that actually is life. Like everything that you're doing there is life, but you've done this all within the matter of a, of a pandemic. And I am, I applaud you. I, I can imagine that there's some people out there that say they're not going to do any of those things, but you've done them all and you're still smiling. That's great. <laughs> so. Yeah. I'm, I'm initially, initially I was sort of knocked down like every, everybody else. I feel like I don't think anybody was sort of immune or didn't get affected by the, the, collective consciousness, the stress, the anxiety that the pandemic brought. So I definitely felt it, but I had a choice sort of early on. I was like, how can I make the most of this time? Because I don't usually get it. I'm usually on the road traveling so much that being grounded and setting down some roots was really nice. Okay. Well, I got to ask before 2013, did I miss anything in your intro? I think I pretty much nailed that. Is there anything else that you did for coaching and were you ever a part of team Canada? Is there a little bit more that you want to expand on that or are we good to go? No, that's good. I had a, I had a competitive career when I was younger, which led me down the road of coaching high performance sport and sort of national team stuff. I just, uh, was a passionate skier and young athlete and that was how I chose to make my career and my, my life was, uh, was all based around skiing. Okay, perfect. Well, we're at that moment. I know that, um, you know, when we do a lot of training the way we do, we, we, we always do a lot of anecdotal work and we mm-hmm. share stories and this podcast is 100% about sharing stories. So I want to know, well, there's a couple of things, but first of all, Painting the picture is important for us. So if you could do us a favor, um, it's hard for people to get a visual when they're listening to a podcast, but I honestly have never had that problem listening to your story. So can you tell our listeners or at least paint the picture of everything that kind of led up to that day on in 2013? And then um, I know for a fact that when I had you come through a train the trainer that you had everything built the way it was supposed to be. And I, I was amazed at that. And I think that uh, from a podcasting perspective, you're able to tell or paint the picture. So if you could do me a favor, just on that day and then everything afterwards and the reasons why you're, you have such a great mindset about gratitude. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. This is awesome. Prior to 2013, I'd had a career in freestyle skiing where I'd had some injuries and those injuries had subsequently made me step back from the competitive or the competitor seat. And I moved into coaching and I started, I was actually thankful for that transition at the time because it was a way to still stay involved in, in skiing. And when I got healthy, every day that I was healthy on skis was always a good day because in a sport with so much risk, I knew that any day on skis could be my last day on skis potentially for that season or for even just a few weeks or or whatever. And that was a huge opportunity cost at the time as a competitor but, um, and, and then as a coach, but in 2013, I was coaching the Canadian national development half pipe ski team. So my athletes were the sort of top talent pool athletes that were vying for spots on our, on Canada's Olympic half pipe ski team. And so I was working with these incredibly talented young individuals. I was living out my dreams of being in on the, on the world cup circuit, just in a different way. I didn't see myself there as a a coach initially, I was hoping to be an athlete, but then I was, I was coaching. And on December 16th, 2013, my day started out like any other day on a ski trip with my team. You can picture this. We were 
just outside uh, Denver, Colorado, staying in a small town named Frisco, nestled in between mountains, the lights of Copper Vale, Breckenridge, Arafo Basin, Loveland. There's all these amazing ski hills out there. And um, I walk out the door of the rental house in the morning. It's a beautiful bluebird day. The air is cold and crisp, kind of hits you like a wall when you open the door. And uh, I look outside and the snow is sparkling in the trees, the sunshine, there's steam coming off the road in front of the house. And I go and start the the team suburban and rally everybody together and get everybody heading off to the ski hill. And it's literally the perfect day to go and ski half pipe with the sun out like that. And which was good because we were training at the U S grand prix of free skiing. It was a world cup half pipe skiing contest. It just so happened to be the first contest of the year for my athletes, which were, and for some of them, it was the highest level they'd ever competed at. So it was, um, it was an incredible day, but there was also this, uh, this pressure on the the guys and girls to get work done in the half pipe that day, because we had access to the venue, which is the half pipe um, venue from 9am until noon. And so in that three hour training block, my athletes needed to um, complete all the different tricks that they needed to do to put together a contest skiing run. And so a super pipe is a, it's a half pipe. It's literally what it sounds like. It's half a full circle, but it's 70 feet wide, about 23 feet tall and 600 feet long. So it's about as long as a football field. And it's on a, on a decently steep slope, but athletes make their way down the ha- the super pipe and they do five to six acrobatical maneuvers going back and forth, back and forth. If anybody knows Sean White, he's the kind of household name in snowboarding. But my athletes were doing what Sean White does with just on a pair of skis and versus a snowboard. And so they've got to get their five or six tricks done and done well in this three hour training time slot. Noon rolls around and uh, we'd had a successful training time slot like we'd, we'd done the warm up and everything was going well and the athletes got to work as they should. And, uh, we took this photo at the bottom of the half pipe and I'm standing there and I have this photo in my mind. It's kind of, you can see how sunny is the, the, the half pipe up behind us. I'm standing there with four of my athletes, the top athletes moving into that winter season and, um, everybody's smiling. And in the picture, two, two athletes, Brendan and Cassie, they're smiling because they got all their work done. They'd done their five or six tricks, everything that they needed to put together their contest run in uh in the event which was just a day and a half away the snowboarders got the pipe that afternoon the whole next day and then the following morning was our contest and so brennan and garrett these other two guys or sorry pardon me um lucas and garrett they're smiling but they had more nervous smiles because it wasn't for a lack of trying, but they just didn't get all their work done. So they didn't do all the tricks they needed to do. So they're feeling understandably nervous because on the, the morning of the contest, you only get two runs to warm up in the half pipe. And then on your third run, you've got to do all of your hardest tricks at the same time in under a minute. And the judges are watching. So the pressure's on. And I, I can see that these guys are stressed. And I say, hey guys, let's just go skiing. We'll take our minds off the event and just go back to why we started doing the sport in the first place. Let's go and have some fun. And I'll go skiing with you. 
So we head off to this other part of the mountain where we can go and hit a series of jumps. And I've convinced one of the athletes that uh, you can do your half pipe tricks off the jumps and we'll take it to the pipe in just a day and a half. If that is that a deal? Deal. We get to that part of the mountain where the jumps are and the jumps are all closed. So oh, <laughs> my, uh, my athlete looks at me like I just, you know, like broke my, broke the deal with him and it was out of my control. I said, I tell you what, we'll find somewhere where we can take some air. And we did. We found a snow gun that was uh, basically like a high powered water gun. They, they mount them all over ski resorts. Now they're all hooked up to big fire hoses, but they, they, basically spray this big shower of water crystals into the air. And when it's cold enough, it, they t- it turns into snow so we can make snow. Right. And so this man-made snow gun was on the corner of the run on this sort of downhill right around a, a, a corner and a, on a bit of a flat spot, it had blown up a quite a sizable pile of snow. And I thought to myself, now this thing just looks like a big rollover mound, but it's steep enough. I think that we can take some air on it. And so I'm going to, I'm thinking like, this is a good thing, but I've kind of got my spidey senses are tingling something, you know, it, I know that the snow that comes out of these man-made water guns is not, um, is not like mother nature's snow. It can be, um, punchy or tacky or grabby and cause it, it can form crust layers or it can be nice and soft and fluffy like normal snow. And then, but it's really inconsistent and you can punch through the crust layers on landing. So I say to the guys, Hey, careful, the snow could be punchy here. I'll go first. And I'm going to go through and do what I call a safety trick, a trick I do. I can do every time, anytime landed on my feet. And so I, I go into this roller and I take off and I do a 360, one full rotation, take off forwards, land forwards and on impact, I land heavy and boom. What do you think happens? Oh. Nothing happens. I landed it perfect. perfect. <laughs> this is not the point. <laughs> you got me. Okay. <laughs> Did I get you? I'm sorry. But um, I, I landed it and I skied away and it was all fine. And so did my athletes behind me. And we, and we hit this feature like three, four, five times in a row. And, uh, on, on, uh, the last run, I was working on the same trick that one of the other athletes were doing. I went first the run before and landed it. And then I said, okay, Annie, up your turn to go first this time. And he like, I coached Lucas through his trick, Garrett through his trick. And then it was my turn to go. And, uh, I set off down the hill quickly transitioning from wearing my coaching hat and helping them to my skiing hat. And I was already moving and, um, on the way in to this, uh, to this rollover feature, I, I kind of got hit like, boom, like right in my, in my gut. And, uh, I got what I would call like a gut sinking feeling. You know what I mean when I say that? Cause my instincts were telling me something. I think we've all had those feelings, but my instincts were telling me something wasn't right. And I decided to carry on through it anyway, because I thought, whatever, it's a trick I've done a thousand times. I, uh, have to catch up for one. The athletes are already all gone and, uh, it's just a big pile of snow. I'll just keep going. And, um, I carved a little bit farther to the left than I did the runs previous. I executed the trick, which was a seven twenty. It was two rotations this time, taking off forwards and landing forwards. And, uh, when I landed on impact, I got hit boom with an uppercut to the face and I was tumbling downhill out of control. My head impacted the snow. I was like, what happened? All I was winded. And, uh, I, 
started sliding to a stop and all everything was running through my mind because I, I was confused. I was like, why did I crash? I thought I was going to land that. And then it hit me like, oh my God, I just hit my face. I had a, I think I had a brief but sharp pain in my neck and then nothing. And I slid to a stop face down in the snow. My goggles had come down over my nose and mouth. I was breathing into them and I couldn't roll over. I couldn't get up. I couldn't move or feel anything below my neck. I just broke my neck. And you knew it right away. I knew I was paralyzed. I couldn't get up and my world came crashing down. I, uh, I landed in what I was describing before some of that punchy snow. And I was confused because I thought I was going to land on my feet and I did, but I pitched so quickly forwards onto my head and neck that my feet came up like a scorpion tail. And then this like bang brief, but sharp pain in my neck was my neck breaking and dislocating. And, uh, and my spinal cord as a result was cut, was pinched off and crushed. And I tumbled down the hill, not having any control or not being able to bounce back or be resilient. Like I'd been so many other times in that situation where you crash and you get back up again. And, uh, and that was it. That, that was the day that was like, I don't, you know, going back to how I used to think when I'd go out skiing at my home mountain, when I was a competitor and a coach that I was like lucky for every single day, because that day could be my last day on the mountain. That was it. I, it was game over at that point. Skiing was done for me in an instant. It was like my world just got ripped out from underneath me. And, uh, hold on, like before we traumatic. Before, yeah, it is. So before we move on, and I'm let you get, I'm gonna let you get on with the rest of the story. But how many times do you think you've told the story? It's hard to call it. I don't know. And the quantifying it, probably hundreds, if not into the thousands now. Okay, so telling the story, I have to ask: Do you get? Does it bring you back to that moment every single time? If I let it. Okay. I did so today. You're compartmentalizing certain aspects of telling the story. So can you, you can understand how people telling a story like that with that kind of a magnitude, how they can get wrapped up in those kinds of emotions. And I am absolutely okay with you doing that here. And I want to say thank you for pulling that out. That's got to be tough. Now, let's go ahead and move on to the day after all the events after that event. And then we'll share with everybody what resilience and gratitude looks like. And this is to me, the best opportunity, the best story that I've heard in quite some time, if not all time um, on how you can get there. So Mike, please. Yeah, this is where it starts to get good. I don't always include that much detail in the story, to be honest, but um, after the accident and massive trauma things uh took a turn i was airlifted to a hospital in denver where i had two titanium rods and 10 screws installed in my neck surgically they cut away a bunch of bones so that my spinal cord could swell which was really my only hope of a physical recovery and at the time i was willing to try anything because uh the odds of recovering without the surgery were zero and with the surgery were maybe like 50, 50, they, the surgeon and the specialist didn't really know, but they said, if you don't do it, you won't. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll take 50, 50. You said, I'll take those odds. And, um, I'm glad I did because 
the morning after surgery, I could just slightly um, close my elbows. So I, I could bend my arms um, with my bicep and deltoid muscles were sort of functioning. I didn't have tricep function, so I couldn't open my elbow. So I couldn't like push my arms straight out. But there something had changed. And that was beautiful because it gave me hope and real hope, something to hold on to. Because as far as I was concerned, if that had changed, it meant other things could keep changing. And on day two after the accident, I had someone, and you could picture these two gentlemen were standing at the end of my bed. There's the, they're both wearing the white lab coats, the stethoscope around the neck, clipboard chart in one, one of the gentlemen's hands. And they're both looking at it quite seriously. And one of the gentlemen is this tall Croatian guy named Tom. He's my, uh, he was my surgeon. And the other one was the, the spinal specialist. And he had this kind of like long white whispery mustache. And he kind of looked like the oldest thing in the hospital. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it probably was. But uh, he stood there and he proceeded to tell me in these words, he said, Mike, you should prepare yourself because you'll probably never walk again. And I said, whoa, pardon me. How do you know? And I said, and I hope I don't, I hope I didn't say it quite like that or, you know, with any kind of, I hope I wasn't rude, but I said, well, how do you know? Why are you telling me that? And I asked and he told me and I heard him and I heard him out and he told me all the reasons why in Western medicine, I probably wouldn't get better. And then I said, okay, I don't know if you're right because something has changed. And so I'm going to leave that door open in my mind and I'll wait before I close it. But I, I heard you, I'll be prepared if that's the case. And, um, it wasn't more than a day or two later that my legs moved. And, uh, and then I had this overwhelming wave of gratitude and then it was kind of like, okay, I think I'm going to be okay after this. And that was when I started thinking about all the things I'd be able to do and getting back to the mountains and skiing again and all sorts of stuff. But, um, no, those initial few days were really pivotal in my, in my trajectory following the accident. And a lot of it came down to perspective and I chose the perspective of hope and trust and then gratitude and gr the gratitude that followed for every little bit of recovery and every little bit of progress I made physically wave after wave of being so grateful. I could pick my own nose or brush my own teeth. I was so happy. I cried the first time I was able to shower on my own, which was like six or seven weeks after the accident, like where I was gaining my independence, it was those moments. And then when things that um, the magnitude of like being able to stand and get out of bed every morning, those were the like, boom, gratitude triggers, the things that really stood out to me as being a gift and something that I could hold on to and, and purposely activate to achieve uh, a, a huge amount of momentum in my recovery. Gratitude became the most powerful tool for me in terms of getting back on my feet. And I mean that um, physically and figuratively speaking, it's an incredible tool for personal resilience. And I just started, it's kind of took the ball and run, ran with it at the time. It was pretty powerful. I, uh, I have to say, and I've had a, a bunch of folks throughout the pandemic that have had some really tough times. And I don't necessarily, I don't feel like it's the right thing to put them in their place. That's not what I'm, I'm talking about. I really work towards the empathizing 
more so than the sympathizing because sympathizing, I could do that on my own. But when I empathize, I could provide some at least words of encouragement. But something always wells up in me that I actually want to say, have you ever been told that you'll never walk again? And when it comes back to the situation of the moment where you were told that, it wasn't that you were going to prove him wrong. It was just like, okay, why is it that's happening? Give me more reasons. It's sort of like what a safety professional does when it comes down to a root cause analysis. They're really trying to find why before solution. Your mind was already there at why before solution. And then solutions just started presenting themselves, especially when you made progress. But making progress out of this really a dark space in your life. It was, must've been, it must've been really tough. And then, you know, obviously the pain and all of the work that you had to go through, it's just that uh, here you are walking. So not to spend too much time on, and I, I hear the gratitude in your voice. When was, how long after the accident were you back on a pair of skis skiing again? So I first went back skiing about four months after the accident, which was, you know, not, not based on the, you know, my, my surgeon wasn't super in favor of it, but well, I mean, maybe you can edit that part out. I don't know, but uh, I sure didn't tell my mom that he said, I said, I went home and I was like, mom, I got cleared to go skiing. And, and she was like, pardon. I was like, yeah, the surgeon. Anyway, that was a funny, fun fact, but um, hopefully my mom doesn't listen to this, but I ended up, um, I ended up going skiing in a sit ski just over four months after the accident. And I got back on a pair of regular skis a year to the day after the accident. I call it my neck break anniversary. And it was a, that was a big ski day in Whistler surrounded by friends. And then it was a humbling experience. It forced me to go back to therapy and back to the rehab center and the gym and everything like that and keep working hard to keep, going on uh, my recovery so that I could come back the the next year and do it again on the second year anniversary of my crash. And that was when I was like, okay, I could actually ski a little bit. And it was still so, uh, my, my sensation was diminished so much that it was still a massive struggle. Mm. So I, uh, I kept working and skiing still not the same as it used to be, but I, I ski frequently. And now I've just got myself into, uh, I've got started dabbling again, going into the backcountry and actually hiking up to mountain peaks to ski down them. Talk about a rush. It's so wild. <laughs> well, you know what? I'm honestly here. Just I, what I hear out of the story, what really excites me the most is that you use the word independence and you can actually make those decisions on your own. Whereas, a, you know, a doctor's not making the decision for you. So mom, if you are listening, we're going to keep that part in there, but you can have that conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's about time. That, that independence, making a decision for yourself is ultimately where it's at, but that wouldn't have happened if you didn't do the work to get there. And that kind of helps us out in safety too, because if you don't do the work to get there, it's likely that you, you know, you'll take shortcuts and you know that we could spend 90 minutes on an anecdotal conversation about just that. Um, but the gratitude, I, I, I hear it in your voice. I heard it when I first met you. I think we were midway through just after rehabilitation and before your first real ski. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just um, getting to know you better through that. And then you got involved in the world of safety. You actually stood on the red carpet for a TED talk. You've done so much in the world of resilience and human performance. 
Is there any one person or any one thing that you feel is, is helped you out get here or is that all on you, Mike? No, no, I think it takes a, it takes a village for sure. And I've had some incredible mentors along the way. Someone else you'll no doubt have on your show at some point, a mutual connection of ours, Josh Duick. He's uh he's in an, he's been an incredible mentor to me throughout the process. He's a Paralympic skiing champion. So he's paralyzed from the waist down, but has a gold and two silver medals from the Paralympics. He's a, anyway, guys, uh, he was a huge influence on my life and still continues to be to this day. But I, yeah, I, I attribute a lot of the success I've had, honestly, to gratitude. I, it's hard to actually put into words the significant benefit I've experienced personally just by being more thankful on a daily basis. It it shifts your perspective, right? Like it's gratitude is the ultimate tool for framing setbacks in the grand scheme of things, because you don't have to look far outside yourself or look for many reasons or many of the reasons that you have yourself to feel thankful, to realize that the thing that was um, causing you grief or stress was just, not that bad sometimes it's just we're human we all have a negativity bias we all buy into the doom and gloom it's normal it's natural it was a defense mechanism and it's been in our handed down in our in our in our brain in the neuroscience for generations but gratitude can shift it completely gratitude actually shifts your physiology because it's authentic it's a genuine feeling when you feel thankful for something that matters something that's important and you sort of tally up those wins you can shift even every day to become a good day, even the bad days, because here's the thing. Oftentimes we say we had a bad day and it may have been because of one challenging conversation or one negative situation that came up throughout the day. And if you were to look back and sort of do a quick audit of everything that happened that day, and you were to count up the wins versus the losses or the good things versus the bad things, the things that you could feel thankful for versus the things you wish maybe didn't happen or happened a different way, you'll realize that almost every single day, you've got more positive occurrences and more things that were uh, wins that you could feel thankful for than you do losses. So you can actually like shift every single day. And if you do it before bed, you actually are training your brain, you're priming it to look for more opportunities to continue feeling thankful. So there's a snowball effect too. You can reset the default pathway. It's, I stumbled across the power of gratitude based on my experience, but it's been, um, it's been so powerful for me over the years. And if I could hand off the, give like just a, even a little bit of it to one, any one of your listeners and just say, yeah, try set reminders, try to be more thankful more frequently and it will change your entire life. I promise you that, like, just try it. If you could take that little, little, one little thing away from today, then that's, that's all good. I'm thankful for it. So. Perfect. I'll I'll say this. Um, We're going to have to bring you back to do a part two about how the connection between performance and gratitude works with resilience. And I really want to get into that conversation with you, but if you're willing. Absolutely. Love to do a follow-up. So we're kind of out of time, but we do have this thing on my podcast that's called uh, Podcast Roulette. And it's where we spin a wheel and we, it just lands on a random question. Um, I've got to ask, are you game? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so let's close with this. All right, here we go. Uh, Digital spin. All right. If your life was a song, what song would that be? 
Oh, geez. <laughs> I, it's gotta be, I like life is a highway, maybe something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds I really ride my lo- It's like, I don't know, something with uh, a resilience trend in there and something with uh, a lust for life for sure. Oh, that's such a perfect song. Okay. Well, I can't, yeah, I don't think we could top that. So just do me a favor before I let everybody go, let everybody know how they can get a copy of your book and how they can get a hold of you. Thank you. Yeah. So I'm at Mike Shosky on Instagram, Twitter, MikeShosky.com. It's my website for any like speaking engagement stuff like that. You can find uh, the link to my book from my website, MikeShosky.com. But the book's on Amazon, sold on all the Amazon marketplaces. Just search Never Part of the Plan. Thanks for having me. You bet. So we'll be giving a couple of books away. The first book we're going to give away is the first person who copies this podcast and shares it on social media with the hashtag gratitude saves. And the second book will go out to the person, first person we capture in social media that uses the hashtag resilience saves. All right. And hopefully I can, I know where you live. I know where you are. I know who you are. We're good friends. Maybe I can get those two books signed before we give those out. So, um, all right. Mike, I really want to say thank you for being here. You have been an amazing guest. We're certainly going to have you back. And if you have one additional final thing to say to people, what would that be? Thanks. Thanks for having me, Tim. And um, something that's just kind of coming to mind and there it could say any number of things, but if you do find yourself feeling down in that kind of valley bottom where it's cloudy, it's dark, it's, it's hard to see the light at the, you know, the, 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 the optimism is not super uh, in your face at that point in time. Try uh, thinking about something you have to feel thankful for. It's counterintuitive. It goes against human nature because when you're feeling low, you're just kind of feeling low. But in those moments that's when it's so powerful to activate gratitude to help pull you out pick yourself back up and take the next step forward it'll make you more resilient and so tim thank you so much for having me and i hope uh hope the listeners enjoyed it perfect um thank you mike shaw really thank you so much it means a lot to me for you for having you here we will definitely bring you back and make that connection all right Storytelling and Safety will be back in about three weeks, and I'm looking forward to the next podcast. I just want to make this one absorb into the brain waves for a little bit, but uh, thank you, everybody, again. I am grateful for all of you for the listening and putting us up there in uh, high ratings. Uh, we will be back in a few weeks, and we'll see you down the road. This podcast was brought to you by you, our listeners. Thank you for attending and spending some of your time with us. 